Hello everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Digital Adoption Show. Your go-to podcast for cutting-edge insights and innovation strategies in today's dynamic work environment. I'm your host Abhirami Prakash, team lead for sales and development at Wattpex. In this episode, we'll dive into five ways to master modern leadership in the modern workplace in 2024. We are honored to have with us today Wagner Denuso joining us, a renowned figure in learning and development, recognized for his work as a coach, a consultant, and a speaker. He has a very diverse background as a licensed psychotherapist and impactful roles within IBM, not to mention pioneering efforts in the future of work initiatives at Prudential Financial. All of this demonstrating his long-standing commitment and expertise to driving leadership performance and organizational transformation. Wagner's approach to leadership is both comprehensive and pragmatic, merging psychological insights with practical business strategies. He is dedicated to enhancing team performance, fostering an inclusive culture, and setting ambitious goals for organizations looking to thrive in the future. Welcome to our podcast today, Wagner. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, Abarimi, because it is time for us to discuss how we're going to create this digital workplace that we are talking about. So I'm really glad that you're doing this. We're just as honored to have you with us today. In fact, before we dive into our main discussion, let's kick off our, this new episode with our very new segment, The Digital Pulse. This is where we try to connect the dots between passion and profession, uncovering how individual journeys can really shape visionary leadership. So Wagner, your career actually expands over decades and enterprises. Tell us more about your journey and how this experience has really shaped your understanding of modern leadership. <laughs> it's interesting because we are talking about skills. And it's very important for us to be aware about what are the skills they are valuing in the markets, our own skills development. And skills is a unit of, is your currency basically for professional and, and career success. However, I think we need to start thinking more deeply about what's a skill. Because if you think about your life experiences, working in different companies, dealing with different communities in your own countries, in your own areas, you are acquiring expertise. You are acquiring capabilities that sometimes we don't take advantage of because we don't think there is skills. There are skills. Being able to relate to someone who is not agreeable to you, being, being able to navigate a new reality. I'm saying this because I'm an immigrant from Brazil. When I came to the United States, I had no English. So I had to figure it out how to manage things, how to make myself viable for a work and all that. All those experiences built incredible empathy for me to deliver to others because you start noticing how people who don't have the power of language, of education, or uh, socioeconomic privilege, they might not be in a perfect environment for them to grow. So I'm urging everybody to think that every single moment in your life is an opportunity to learn. Because those skills that you gain in life are really important. I came as an immigrant. As you said, my journey was really different because I had a college degree in Brazil, 
no opportunities there, decide to immigrate to the United States. I was a busboy for many years and, and worked cleaning tables after college. So in my 20s, I didn't have the glamorous jobs that we all aim to have. And then little by little, I started becoming much more connected. And I became a social worker when I could talk and all this. So I had several experiences. I became a psychotherapist. I worked in hospitals with people who are having really difficult time. So all this creates your value. So my journey, it's good that you ask about this because it's adopting digital strategies, digital tools and all this is the same thing. You have to start adapting to the new reality and adopting the new skills that you might acquire. So my journey was exactly that, acquiring skills and capabilities all the way to becoming an executive in Fortune 50 companies. And I think that was a good plan. Not a great plan because it was hard, but it was a good plan. <laughs> That's a very inspiring message, Ragna. I mean, to come as an immigrant all the way from Brazil to the United States, going from busboy, I mean, that's just an impressive journey and I'm so excited to read more about it. But before we dive in further, I have to ask, is there any kind of a passion or activity outside of work that was particularly close to your heart that really drove this journey forward for you? Actually, thinking about having making an impact on people. Because when I start volunteering and doing social work in hospitals and all this, I work with a lot of undocumented immigrants in the United States with serious diseases. And it was very impactful to me. So I think there is a, a, a hunger for having meaning and purpose in my life. And I think that's what's emerging collectively for us. And I love that we are in this in, induction, in inflection point because most of us want meaning and purpose. And I think that's what drives success. Yeah, absolutely. But very few people can actually walk the tail. So I'm really, really excited to dive into that further. In fact, before we move on to that, we actually have a revamped rapid fire round this time. Okay. The triple strike, as we like to call it, where we ask our guests three quirky questions and expect a fun answer to get a deeper glimpse into how their minds work. So I hope you're ready to be triple strike back now. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. So, Wagner, number one, imagine you were coaching a robot to take over your role. What is the one human skill you'd actually find hardest to teach? <laughs> I think two. It can be just one. The hardest to teach is true empathy. Because even now you see the generative AI chatbots, some of them are very empathic. They start by reassuring you that you're a good person. They, they do that kind of empathy. But you know it's not real because empathy requires emotional connection. So the emotional connection will never happen with a robot. However, there's a lot of things that they can help us with. And one more skill that I think is going to be hard for them is to make me laugh. You know, I think it's so important for us to make ourselves laugh as leaders, as professionals, as just anybody, if you're not ridiculous once a day, or if you're not making fun of yourself once a day, you're taking yourself too seriously. So <laughs> I doubt that robots are going to make me laugh as hard as I make myself laugh, but <laughs> I hope so. 
<laughs> oh, that's a really fun answer. I really was not expecting the ability to make you laugh to be the second one, but <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to number two. If you could choose any fictional character as your leadership mentor, Wagner, who would it be and why? Okay, this speaks about my generation. There was a show on TV about 20 years ago, Xena, the Warrior Princess. I don't know how many people know about this. It's an Australian show. They, they played 20 years ago in the US. And what I loved about her is that she was so strong, a woman, because I think we are in the year of women leadership. We need to elevate women. We need to make sure that women take the highest spots in organizations. And immediately when I saw the question, I said, Zina, Zina, you are a princess because she's strong enough to beat everybody up, but she's kind enough to understand the nuances of courage, curiosity, and humanity. So take a look at her. She's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. I think as women in business, there's always that impulse to beat people up <laughs> that we have yes. to resist. So sometimes you should. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would get in trouble, but I'm sure the warrior princes wouldn't. <laughs> okay, moving on to a very last question. If you weren't in your current profession, Ragnar, what alternative career path do you think you would have pursued? You know, it, this is funny too, because I had several careers. I came as a busboy. I was a waiter in Brazil to make some money because I went to college at night. I had no money. I started sewing women's clothing. So I know how to sew. So I did that for a while. That's how I bought the ticket to come here. And I became a social worker. I was in restaurant business. I was a leadership coach. And I was an employee assistance program. So I was a psychotherapist. Then I became an HR leader, strategist, leadership. So I already had so many things. But my passion always being architecture. And I think I do that with talent. It's about creating the designs in the architecture where everything fits in a way that creates collective coherence. So that's pretty much talent strategy. <laughs> Wow, I really like how you underplayed that, but you walked multiple roles in all your life and you've done it with so much passion. That's uh, really not something that a lot of us can really attest to. So that's more power to you. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right, that was some truly extraordinary answers and we absolutely love them. Now that you're hopefully comfortably settled in Wagner, let's really dive into the more substantial topics, particularly those that I'm sure our listeners are eagerly anticipating. First of all, many, many congratulations on the launch of your new book, Leading to Succeed. Why don't you tell our audience a little more about the book and what is it really all about? And you know, it's funny. I have the book here in my hands. They are not out yet. If you buy on Amazon, you'll get in February. But you know what I was thinking? It's, it's interesting because the book also shows one more step towards courageous leadership, I think, because... I'm trying to walk the talk. We talk about leadership as having courage to take action. So my book, the premise of the book is that I believe that every single employee worker or a person who engaged in the workplace, in the marketplace is a leader. Because nowadays you have to lead yourself 
Self-management is a leadership skill and you need to orchestrate your life according to relationships, needs of others, your needs. So you are a leader trying to strategize how to gain access to the economy. I think that's a leadership skill. And I do believe everybody has to cultivate leadership skills from the beginning of their career in employment. I think companies that don't pay attention to nurturing leadership from the beginning are missing incredible opportunities to create collective leadership as a cultural norm. So the book came out of this idea. Everyone is a leader. We need to cultivate these leadership skills because think about it. It's not enough to train managers after you appoint them to management. They have to be building that, that capability throughout their profession. So when they become managers, they're going to learn about the processes and things that they must do. But internally, they're already much more prepared to deal with the human side of leading people. So the book is about that. And one thing that I, I focus is not in specific competencies for leaders in the beginning, but think about leadership being in the expression of an individual. Leadership doesn't happen if you're quiet and hiding. Leadership only happens when you manifest your expressions. So I have three expressions for leaders, and one of them is consciousness. I think now more than ever with the climate crisis, all the digital revolution, and so many socioeconomic, geopolitical problems, we do need to apply consciousness because understanding the environment, understanding the context, understanding your situation, understanding your maturity, understanding others, and being okay not judging people's realities. All this is tremendous stress for people. So we need to have these three leadership expressions supported by everyone. The consciousness to be a leader in being who you want to become. The curiosity to seek alternative ways of thinking because we need people who are curious and apply creativity. And the last is the courage, the courage to take action. Because let's be real, it's not easy to take actions. They are not favored by the majority of your constituencies. So I really urge people to start thinking those three things. You manifest your expressions through consciousness, curiosity, and courage. Wow, that's really interesting. The three C's. The three C's, yes. <laughs> wow, I mean, I think especially in today's workplace where a lot of leaders tend to operate on autopilot, it really takes a moment to just take a step back and really analyze if you are following the three C's. So that's definitely food for thought. And I'm very, very interested to see more about this on the book. I'll Thank be you. first in line in February. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So Agnes, there were a couple of experts from your book that really caught my eye with their compelling ideas around human-centered leadership and developing a personal success profile. But I figured I'll figure it out directly from the man behind the writing itself. Do you think you could share some of your core beliefs and inspirations behind what led to this thought? It's interesting that I have been exploring future of work for the last five years, leadership for the last 20, and human behavior for... 30, probably. <laughs> but the reality is human-centered leadership is becoming a thing. Everybody talks about it because we already talked, went through the whole experience of business leaders driving operational excellence. We went through the whole process of servant leadership, that they are there to help others be successful. 
And we had so many models. But what triggered an inspiration for me is the idea that actually we need to become a little less focused on what we're learning in schools and start really more focused on how we want to lead our lives, how we want to become the person that you want to become, and less fragmented. Many leaders are very fragmented. I work with a lot of executives who feel that they didn't fulfill their role as a parent. They didn't fulfill their role as a husband. They didn't fulfill their role as a community member because they allow work to take 25 hours a day of their lives. And things are changing. So human-centered leadership is not denying the need for expertise and being really sharp in business today. But it requires much more than that. It requires acceptance. I talk about self-acceptance as my ultimate goal. So it's the three A's. We have the three C's. It's awareness. Awareness is not enough. Human-centered leadership is indicating signals that you should pay attention to. But awareness is just awareness and information. As a human, think about your realities and think about the times that you had to accept realities that you're not in, agreeable, in agreement with. Self-acceptance is a human requirement. You need to accept who you are. I give an example. I talk about self-limiting beliefs. Self-limiting beliefs are really important. Imposter syndrome is really important to talk about. We are talking about things that we didn't talk about before. Why it's so important is because actually it's human nature to react emotionally to things that happen to us. People being laid off. That's an emotional trauma that we need to consider as a really sensitive topic. So a human-centered leadership is allowing us to go deeper into who we are, become aware of our self-limiting beliefs, but then accept them. I had this incredible self-limiting belief. I grew up in a poor neighborhood with poor schooling and education. It was public school in Brazil, like a long time ago, wasn't pretty. I didn't learn much. So I came to the United States thinking I would never achieve what others achieved because I didn't have the education that Americans did. But the reality is I accept that because that was a reality, not a state that perpetuates who I am. It's just a reality of my past. So self-acceptance, it starts with you looking back and seeing I became who I became because of my emotional developing what, what has transpired in my life. Now that I have authority and agency in my life, I can create the life that I want to become. So awareness leads to self-awareness. Self-awareness leads to action. Now you can act according to your own values, according to who you want to become. So I love that because that's what inspired my book. If I can merge emotional development, psychology, with the idea that everyone is a leader and you have the potential to become an incredible person, that's what I did. And hopefully that's the impact I'm going to have. I'm hoping to have an impact. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I mean, that's very interesting. So that's awareness, acceptance, and action. Words to definitely live by. Do you think people sometimes get stuck in the acceptance and do not move beyond that to action? I think this is so important. Thank you for going down here because this is important, isn't it? how many times we feel like an imposter if we are put in a position of challenge 
oh, I never did this. They don't know what they are doing. Maybe they don't know. I felt that way when I got a job at, at IBM, for example. I had never been a, a professional or at least education-wise. I didn't have my degrees oriented towards what I got at IBM. And I felt like, ooh, this is an imposter syndrome coming up. And I was feeling really bad about not having the skills that others had. But then you have to turn around and just facilitate the conversation because you have other skills, like I said, your experiences, you have your life capabilities, who you are as a person, you have your heart, your hand, and your head. So you have three capabilities right there. So it made it easy. But self-acceptance doesn't happen if you don't look at things for what they are without judging. So if you are having a hard time with self-acceptance, always think about lifting your judgment. When you start looking at things without judging, it gets much easier to deal with. Very nice and something to really live by. One other question that I have for you, just again, reflecting on your extensive experience, how do you think leadership teams have really evolved over the years? Are there certain fundamentals that have remained constant or do you think there are new approaches that are proving successful in today's rapidly changing landscape? That's a question that has so many answers. I think each one of us has a different answer. But if you think about the essence of things, the other day I wrote on LinkedIn and I loved it. Actually, I liked it. It's like, you know, find what's essential and become exceptional at being you never about being somebody else. So it starts there. Leadership is not something that you look around and find the recipe to become one. You have to combine your own values, your beliefs. I truly believe in this one. Beliefs, your beliefs about DNI, your beliefs in really human-centered leadership, your beliefs about collective well-being, your belief as a leader matters a lot. So the constant stays with the essence of becoming a leader, because when you become a leader, you have to show up your true self, your beliefs, your values, and act accordingly. We don't see that often, but that's how it should be. So that doesn't change. And there was one when I worked in so many companies, there was a few competencies that actually they're still valid. One, for example, continuously transform. As a leader, you have to be prepared to continuously transform. So the idea of change management feels very kind of traditional because it's not about managing change. It's about integrating change into the flow of work, into the flow of life, because you don't manage separately. The change is happening. You're being impacted. You need to integrate that change and move forward. So self-acceptance self will do that. Now, the other thing that is really important is give your teams permission to do great work. A leader's job is to create the conditions for people to do great work. So a leader that needs to be an, an outsiding observer is really important because leaders who are really attached, and I say this and I love this one that is on the book, be engaged, but not attached. Because the moment you are emotionally attached to your own ideas and the way of doing things, you eliminate the opportunities for everybody else to contribute to the idea. 
some leaders are very focused on themselves and they eliminate the possibility of greatness. To allow people to do great things, you need to be humble enough to allow yourself to know that maybe innovation, creativity, and best ideas will not come from you. So those are important. But one thing that's changing is the digital piece, is the cognitive mastery. I talk about this skill, cognitive mastery, because that needs to change. We know that today people are not trusting corporations. That is a lack of trust overall, globally. We know that leaders that use their memos to talk to their people, crafted by communications experts, are not having the impact that they want to have. I just uploaded something on LinkedIn today. It's a little provocative, but I like to be provocative. I said, is it okay for corporations to continue to balance their balance sheets and quarterly earnings on employees? So we keep laying off people just to show the street that we're still good, we're still profitable. Is it okay really to continue to support that? Or leaders should be much more courageous to take accountability for making the wrong decisions in the last three years, to not having the courage to try new capabilities and allow people to do great things, for hiring too many people because you are desperate and didn't know what to do. It's like, let's take accountability for our actions and then make smarter decisions. Because right now, I don't think people are trusting very much. So the cognitive mastery is about know your reactions to triggers. You know, I'm triggered emotionally by a lot of things. We all are. But you need to compose yourself, see things that are not about you, but it's just the reality, and start responding to things. I love Viktor Frankl's quote. He says, between the stimuli and your response, there is a, there is a pause. In that pause is your opportunity to craft your response. And then he says, in your response, is your freedom and your growth. I love that because that's what leadership is about. The ability to be conscientious and respond in a way that you're proud of. So that's changing a little. That's very, very interesting. In fact, if I were to talk about personal experience as well in today's rapidly changing landscape, uh, one thing that I can think of, of course, is the emergence of Gen Z in workplace. How can we really be effective leaders when we're working with Gen Z? Do you have any thoughts on this particular topic? I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, <laughs> I think Gen Z is the hope for our future. I really do. I know you, Gen Zs, for example, and millennials too. You have to deal with so many difficult realities. You didn't grow up with certainty. Certainty is not something that's part of your vocabulary. The other thing is career pathways. They are not designed anymore. There is no vertical line that's going to take you to that destination anymore. I think Gen Zs have an incredible activism consciousness and collective well-being becomes part of your discussions as well. So Gen Zs, to me, are the greatest leaders of our future because I know it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying it's easy because you're going to have to adapt your ideals to the realities that we have today, which are not the best realities for anyone. Let's be real. 
the situation that we have we have got my, ourselves in is that you know businesses is an operational framework that doesn't fit all of us and Gen Z's are going to change that you know why I'm hopeful because in Gen Z leadership teams are the new unit of value teams are going to continue to be the unit of value if people really take this seriously, because hierarchy is not going to be as important. What's going to be important is how do you bring the right people together to collectively achieve something much greater than you could do it by yourself? So Gen Z's to me are much more collective. They're thinking about the planet. They're thinking about climate. They're thinking about the, 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 the consequences of decisions. They are not great decisions. So, I know it's going to be hard and I know Gen Z's have aspirations to become much more fluid and less stressed. It's just the inflection point that we are going through. I hope everybody understands. In the next year or two, this is a transition year. The second quarter of this century is going to be dominated by human-centered leadership that Gen Z's are going to dominate. And I hope this happens. I'm a big proponent. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, it's definitely some tips that I can take back as I work with Gen Z to see how can we shape them as well. Yes. Um, but another interesting tidbit from your book that I noticed as well, you talk about distinct leadership styles. So how do we identify them right now and how can we apply them in the modern workplace? You know, the modern workplace is an open space. Let's think this way. Digital transformations are allowing much more access we have transparency, we have access, and we have a collective environment where information is shared freely. So it's not a hierarchical sense of like cascading goals, cascading communications. The, the, the word cascading should never be used again, <laughs> to be honest. There is no cascading. There is a lot of thunderstorms everywhere, but it's not cascading anything. So the leadership styles will be available to you because you're going to observe different styles. But you know one thing that I, I'm very careful? We cannot be judgmental about the styles that people adopt because that's the resource they have available to them. Emotionally, if you're not used to talk about your emotions and you learn that talking about emotions is not really something that you should be proud of, you're going to become the business leaders who avoid connections with people. You're going to be the business leaders who probably might have good values, but they act in a very structured and professional way that doesn't give the fluid ability to create culture. Culture is about connectivity. Culture is about sharing. It's most emotional experiences together. So culture is something that we are not really well prepared. So you're going to identify different styles. There are some leaders, they are business leaders, and they know how to architect something for efficiency, effectiveness, and moving the business forward. That's great. Don't, don't underestimate the value of each one of them. There are leaders who are very kind to their people, but they are only focused on themselves. You know, they're kind to their people, but in service of them moving up. So you're going to see a lot of leadership styles, but it's not about styles. What I want you to focus on is leadership essential expressions. 
When you see the expressions of consciousness, you know this leader is taking in consideration the well-being of others. When you see somebody who is curious, you know that they are not so focused on their family and friends as the best ones. They want to hear about diverse thoughts, diverse people, diverse opinions. So curiosity gives an indication that you have a, an open mindset. Encourage. Isn't it wonderful when you see a leader taking stand for your community or for people who are being oppressed? You know, so it's not about styles, but it's more about the expressions. When you see leadership expressions of courage, curiosity, or consciousness, you know you are seeing a leader who is striving to become the best what they can. Absolutely. I think one of the major takeaways is regardless of your intent, it really comes down to the expression at the end of the day. But for our enterprise audience here, do you think, Wagner, you could share the essential elements and principles that should really be included in a leader's framework for success in digital workplace? Oh, I love this question because I've been working with a lot of companies on this. And in fact, I'm creating the new manager experience profile because I think managers are critical and their role is shifting and we are expecting of them much more than we used to expect. So we need to focus on managers. But beyond that, in leadership, the frameworks always have to account for vulnerability because actually the expression of consciousness is about your being accepting of yourself and sharing some things that are not comfortable. You know, sometimes it's not comfortable to share that you feel stressed, that you feel a little depressed because I think a lot of people are, anxiety is rampant everywhere. So I think leaders need to have the ability to share, to connect with people. So for frameworks, use a lot of the idea of self-disclosure. Self-disclosure appropriately really gives leaders a leg up with their people. The other thing that I think is important is think about developing your leaders through simulations, assessment centers, whatever you call it. I think they're new, but what I call it is leadership experiences. Place them in experiences that they need to think about their, <laughs> they have to use the three, the heart, the head, and their hands. So put them to really practice because that's when people start acquiring new skills. So frameworks, I don't know what you decide to put there. The leadership expressions, I strongly suggest that you use them. But then you start thinking how. The how is not about self-based learning. It's about putting them in coaching circles, for example, and let them talk about the experiences they want to create for people in their companies. I think that's the best way. Got it. Wagner, do you think you could share some examples from your personal experience in developing leadership frameworks, mm -hmm. maybe for Fortune 500 organizations? You know, I, I did so many of the executive development programs, frameworks and all this. I did a lot of them. But it's like experiences at work. Think about the memorable experiences that you had. How many? We don't have that many. In one year, probably you have three, four, five. Memorable, something that deeply changed something in how you act in the world. So there was an experience and this was beautiful. The CEO, the CHRO, many people said, don't do it. And I did it, of course I shouldn't, but I did it. 
Because uh, I think it's about conviction. I had the conviction that these executives that I was working with, 400 of them in the, in the room, senior executives, billions of dollars in business, they are feeling, like I said, very guilty about not being there for their wives, their kids, their husbands, their people. And they feel they can never reach the goals that the company is expecting of them. So they're always between this rock and the hard place. And I said, you know what? How can I talk to them about positive leadership, about what they need to do as great leaders without recognizing where they are? So I start the session with 400 people with a mindfulness minute. I used to use it for my teams, which is just a mindfulness moment where I go through breathing exercise, letting them know that they should forgive themselves because forgiving yourself is a great step towards self-acceptance. Forgive yourself for not being there. Forgive for past behaviors that was not aligned to how you want to become. All that through four or five minutes. That's how I start the session. You could hear a pin drop. You, I was so emotionally, I was so proud because at the end of the session, they all lined up, says nobody ever talked to us like this. Nobody ever gave us permission to forgive ourselves. Nobody ever told us that it's okay to have those feelings. And that's when they were able to absorb what I had to say to them. Because we keep hammering, leaders must do this. And we keep hammering the idea that actually we need to change people's behaviors. Now I ask you, when was the last time you were able to change somebody's behavior? I never seen it. I've been a psycho psychotherapist. I've been a social worker. I've been on this earth for a long time. You don't change people's behaviors. What you can do is to help them see the opportunity to change and contemplate change for themselves because that's how change happens. It's an internal process of accepting reality and adopting to the new world. That's what change is. You don't make people change. So you can establish expectations not of behaviors, I think is expectations of actions. How do I expect you to express your leadership in this company? Those are okay, but you can make people change. So I think that's an important piece. There's so many examples on, on how to develop leaders, but I think it goes back to being honest with each other, opening up a venue of discussion that sometimes you felt uncomfortable doing. Coaching does that, right? I have a motto in my book called IDEA. The IDEA coach is very simple. It's for short-term coaching, for coaching as a skill that you can use it anywhere. It's about identifying the goals. Of course, we have to identify the real goals, not the expressed goals, because sometimes there's something underneath. Then you have to <laughs> disrupt thinking. My, my goal is to disrupt thinking because if you're thinking in a linear way about what you're hearing in coaching to do, you're also missing the opportunity to expand your notion of what you need to do. So I is for identifying, D is for disrupting, and then encouraging experimentation and activating plans. That's something you can do with your leaders. I think it works really well. Very, very interesting. In fact, as we conclude our discussion, Wagner, 
Could you leave us with one actionable piece of advice that leaders can implement immediately to make a meaningful impact within their organizations? Uh, it sounds a little harsh, but I need to say it. Don't underestimate the intelligence of your people because you might not have explored all the capabilities that are available to you. If people are afraid of expressing their capabilities and their ideas, you're not going to harvest the best performance from your teams. So start considering your teams as the most valuable source of intelligence. This collective intelligence that we are creating is much greater than any individual intelligence. So think about that. I think that's number one. I can give one more. One more is clarity creates capacity. I've been saying that for a year now. Make sure that you are clear about what you expect from people. Make sure they are clear about where you're going because clarity eliminates all the stress, anxiety, and time consumed in trying to figure out what you want from your people. So as a leader, be clear because that clarity will create capacity for them to learn and be even better. Perfect, absolutely perfect way to wind things up. This yeah. conversation has been so enlightening, Wagner. Your thoughts on leadership in the modern workplace have been absolutely invaluable. Thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to us. To our listeners, remember, you can listen to our podcasts on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. Just search for the Digital Adoption Show and hit subscribe to stay updated with our latest episodes. Tune in at your convenience from anywhere. I'm your host, Abrami, signing off for today.